control of my life. Not as much as some people, but every now and then this kind of control freak element, it kind of creeps up out of me from somewhere and I just cannot let go of certain things. I don't know if, uh, if, you, if you kind of correlate with that a little bit in your life, but I think there's something within all of us that likes to have control of our life, of our, of our future. But do you know that God's got a plan for you? God's got a plan and purpose for each and every one of us. And, and his ways are better than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So when we hand over our lives to God, when we say, okay, I'm going to put you in control. I'm going to give you the, the steering wheel of my life. Then we can begin to have an incredible life, a life that is far greater than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. So when we steer away from God, when we don't walk in God's plans, actually we're living an inferior life. And I don't want that. I don't know about you. I don't want to live an inferior life. I want to live my best life. I want to live in God's fullness. I want to live in the plans and purposes he's got for my life because I know that they are better than anything that I could cook up in my own mind. So before we jump into the content of the passage this morning. I just want to give us some context of this book, this letter, this preach that we're going to be unpacking over the summer months. So let's start with the who. Who is, who is this letter for? Well, it's written to Jewish people who have converted to Christianity. When was it written? It was written uh, around kind of 60s AD, just before Emperor Nero started to really wreak havoc and begin to persecute Christians. And the why, why was it written? Well, it was written because the, the, the audience, the people who are receiving this message, they, they are these Jews who have converted to Christianity, but they're starting to, uh, to drift back into this old way of life. And actually what we see is that they, they've started to return to the temple. They've started to make blood sacrifices and, and go through kind of the motions of the law and the sacrificial system that they knew as Jews. But the reality is that they've already acknowledged and recognized the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made when he shed his own blood, the only blood that would ever need to be shed so that we can be redeemed from our sin, past, present, and future. So it's a story if you if you kind of flow with me for a minute, that kind of harks back throughout the history of the Israelites. Because if you think way back to Moses, they, they, the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land, walking through the wilderness. And, and Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to speak with God. And he's there 40 days and 40 nights. And when he returns from the top of the mountain and he's, he's got the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them, he, he finds out that actually the Israelites have no longer been staying faithful to God, but they've returned back to their old ways. They've started worshipping idols again and, and falling into what they used to know, what was comfortable, what was easy for them. So this idea of going back, of drifting back into an old style of life is not new for these people, but the author is specifically writing them as converted Jews, as people who now know the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. I think at one point or another, each and every one of us have, have been tempted in some way to, to fall back or slip back into our old way of, of living. You know, how we used to live before we met Jesus. And whether that's back into 
I don't know, the worldly way of living, even though we knew it never fulfilled us, or whether it's about chasing after success or titles or, or money, or whether it's going back to a toxic relationship that we, we knew wasn't healthy for us, whatever it, it may be, I think that one time or another, we've all fallen back into our old way of living. It's so easy to turn back to something because it gives us short-term pleasure, even though you know it might give us satisfaction for a little while, but we know in truth it doesn't last. It just doesn't last. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, I, I know life is, is hard. I know there are challenges. I know there are struggles, but, but even with all that, we're not going back. We're not going back. So if you've ever been tempted to fall back into your old life, into the things that are easy and comfortable and the way you used to live, then this message is for you. So that's the who and the when and the why. And, and now to kind of just touch on the author, actually the author is unknown of this, of this book. There's a few kind of speculations. It could have been Paul, although when you look through scripture, you'll find that every single one of the 13 letters that Paul writes, he starts from Paul to the church in Rome, Corinth, Ephesus. So he tends to acknowledge it's him who's writing it. Some people say it might be Luke. Some people say it might be Priscilla. One of the, uh, the most common threads is that it could be Apollos. He's probably one of the more likely candidates. Paul writes in Acts 18 that Apollos was an eloquent man. He was well-educated. He knew the scriptures, the Torah, really well. He was a mighty man of faith, an incredible preacher. And so as we read throughout this, this book, letter, preach, whatever you want to call it, of Hebrews, we'll begin to get indication of the character of the author. You know, this is possibly one of the best sermons ever written. You know, besides perhaps the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the best recorded sermons ever. And it's got this great balance of exposition, that unpacking of Old Testament scripture, an exhortation, the kind of how we can then apply this to our lives. And so the author displays an incredible knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And every chapter, sometimes most sentences, will reference or quote Old Testament scriptures. But what we'll also see is that throughout all of this, there are shadows, there are threads, all of which point to Jesus. You'll find it throughout the Old Testament that, that everything in there ultimately points to Jesus. And the other thing we can see about the author is that he or she is a committed Christian, that they are committed to Christ. You see, you'll find in the writings that they're concerned about the spiritual condition of the readers, of the audience. And throughout this book, you'll see Jesus is the focus. Everything in this book points to Jesus. And there's no preaching of, of Jesus and law or with just the grace of Jesus, you'll find that it's, it's grace alone that's preached throughout this book. Okay, so there's the groundwork, there's your lecture, your history lesson over. Let's get on to the, the content of the book. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, it says, in the past, God spoke. I mean, we could just stop right there for a moment and just be overwhelmed by the incredible awesomeness of those few words. In the beginning, in the past, God spoke. Because we know that actually the, the power in God's voice is incredible. You look right back to the beginning of creation. God spoke and things happened. 
light came into being. The earth was formed. The stars were created. Plants grew. Animals were formed. All of these just from the, the voice, the spoken word of God. But it goes on. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So my first point today, if you're making notes, is this. If you want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. If you want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. How does God speak to us? Well, we know that he speaks in various ways and through various means. But what the writer wants us to know here is that the source is always Jesus. The source is always Jesus. So if you want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. What is he saying? What can we hear from the, the words that we read through his life and ministry here on earth? What can we hear from Jesus as we read the Gospels? What is Jesus saying to us today? We have to listen to Jesus if we want to hear God speaking to us. So what's happening here is that we find that these people are being tempted to go back to their old way of living. They're, they're drifting away from the teachings of Jesus and they're, they're going back to the temple, to their Jewish, Jewish roots. And actually they're putting Jesus on the same playing field as the prophets from the past. So they're now starting to say, well, well maybe Jesus was just a prophet. Maybe he was just a good teacher. But what the writer is saying and is imploring and exhorting them to, to understand is that that is not the case. That, you know, he's being really clear and he's spelling out to them that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is superior to all of the prophets from the past. And so for us today, you know, it's great to hear prophetic words, isn't it? It's great to get a word of knowledge that speaks directly into our lives or our situation but the reality is if it doesn't line up with Jesus we need to throw it away we need to discard it because everything needs to point to and line up with the words and actions of Jesus so God spoke to his people through the prophets and he used to speak through angels as well and but the, the reality is that he got to a point where that just wouldn't do anymore no longer could he just speak through prophets and and angels, but it was time that he spoke uh, directly from himself. So he sent down himself, wrapped in human form, in a man with the name of Jesus. God decided no longer to be giving messages to his people through messengers, but he sent the message down to earth. Jesus came to dwell amongst us and to be this living, breathing message and word of God. If you want to hear from God, Listen to Jesus, the name above all names, superior to all prophets and angels. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And my second point is this, if you want to see God, look to Jesus. If you want to see God, look to Jesus, because Jesus is the exact representation of God. Another translation says he's the precise 
expression of God. If you want to know God's character, if you want to know his behaviours, if you want to know what he thinks or, or what he cares about, then look to the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, we were talking just this week in our family devotion time about family traits and how things are passed on from generation to generation. And so, you know, we started to look at, at our kids and say, well, what have we passed on to you? And we see that, you know, Caleb's got similar hair to Ruth and all of the kids have got Ruth's blue eyes. And then we started to think, well, it's not just about physical appearance, but there's also characteristics and, and phrases that we learn from one another. And, and one thing that cropped up just last week, we were we were chatting about something and then Caleb said, oh, well, them's the rules. And that's a phrase that I say apparently quite a lot. And he's caught on to this, them's the rules. And the other thing that, that we say, or I say, and they've caught on is uh, teamwork makes the dream work. And so I say that a lot just for fun, but they've started saying it in just general conversation. And it's great to see how our character and our DNA and our personality and behaviours pass on from us to our children. And so actually that means that as parents, we need to be really careful about what we say and what we do and how we live our lives because whether we recognise it or not, our kids are learning from us. They're picking up our behaviours. They're, they're, they're mimicking our actions and our words. And so we need to recognise that actually if we're going to live and breathe and, and do this life in a way that God wants us to live, then we need to be reflections of God. And so how do we become a reflection of God? Well, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus because he is the exact representation of God. So the more that we look at Jesus, the more we look at our Saviour, the more we become like him. How do we look at Jesus? Well, we spend time in the Gospels. We spend time reading the words and the stories of his life. That's how we spend time with him. And as we do that, his, his character begins to be reflected through our lives and our actions. So we should be looking at how he lived. We should be learning from him and, and mimicking him and striving to be like him. When people see us, they should know and recognize that there's something different in our lives because of the way we live and because of the way we love. And that happens because we've drawn close to Jesus. We've spent time in his presence. And so we're starting to reflect and radiate his character and his behaviours. You know, Moses was bold enough to ask God, can I see you? He just said, God, I, I want to see your glory. And so God said, well, you can't see my glory because if you see my glory, you'll die. But here's what we'll do. You go and hide behind that rock and I'm going to pass by. As I do, I'll cover your face. But then once I've passed, I'll let you see the back of me. And Moses was like, okay, well, that's enough for me. So that's what happened. And then later on, Moses goes down the mountain. And as he gets to the bottom of the mountain, the people look at his face and they see that he's glowing. He's literally glowing because he's been in the physical presence of God. Jesus is the radiance of God. So if we look to Jesus and we don't come away changed, have, have we really looked at him enough? You know, if we've seen Jesus, we should look like Jesus. There's no greater place to be on earth than in God's presence, because God's presence gives joy, it gives 
Hope it gives salvation and joy and love and acceptance and grace and purpose and restoration. That's what happens when we spend time in the presence of God. So let's be intentional about pursuing Jesus, about spending time in his presence and allow his glory and his character to become part of who we are. If you want to hear from God, listen to Jesus. If you want to see God, look to Jesus. So don't be tempted, and we're going to go on and on about this over the next few weeks. Don't be tempted like the the readers of this book to go back to your old way of living, to fall back into old habits and old patterns and things that were easy and comfortable. Stand strong. Put your shoulders back. Stand up tall. Be rooted and grounded in the promises and the truth of God and declare to yourself and over your life, I'm not going back. Why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And I thank you for uh, just the person of Jesus that you chose to send yourself down to earth, wrapped in a form and an image that we would recognize and relate to. So that as we look to Jesus, as we look to his ministry, his life, and the way that he lived, that we can in some way reflect that through our lives. That as we spend time in his presence, as we spend time with you, that we can reflect and radiate your glory, that people will recognize something within us that is different because of the time we spend with you. So I pray that this week will be a good week for everyone and that you will be with us as we go about our day-to-day lives. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name.